Hi, I'm Harry Littman, host of Talking Feds, a roundtable that brings together prominent figures from government law and journalism for a dynamic discussion of the most important topics of the day. Each Monday, I'm joined by a slate of Fed's favorites and new voices to break down the headlines and give the insider's view of what's going on in Washington and beyond. Plus, sidebars explaining important legal concepts read by your favorite celebrities. Find Talking Feds wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Muller She Wrote is brought to you by Crest. The Crest 3D Whitening Kit removes over 10 years of tough set-in stains to give you noticeably whiter teeth, 100% guaranteed. For $20 off your first Crest Whitening Strip Kit, go to CrestWhiteSmile.com and enter promo code AG at checkout. And thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting Mueller She Wrote's special coverage of the Mueller Report. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses can connect with qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com AG. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Mueller She Wrote and our ongoing special coverage of the redacted Mueller Report. I'm your host, A.G., and with me, as always, are Jaleesa Johnson. Hello. And Jordan Coburn. Hello. So today, we're going to be covering two big acts of obstruction of justice. This is the juicy meat of what I think is volume two. So if you're a volume two person, you're going to be uh, this section. Uh, this is going to be your thing. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, we're covering pages 77 to 98, parts E and F. Um, the effort to remove special counsel and the effort to curtail the scope of the Mueller investigation. And we've been seeing quite a few subpoenas regarding these sections specifically from the White House Judiciary Committee citing impeachment powers as the reason, including subpoenas for Don McGahn, Lewandowski, Rick Dearborn and Rob Porter. And I, and I think we'll see some of these names pop up today more than once. So, well, again, pages 77 to 98 of volume two, if you want to follow along or read ahead or just sit back and relax and we'll tell you what happened. <laughs> So as we've been doing, we're going to skip the overview and dive right into the evidence because the overview is just a summary of the evidence. So head to page 78, subsection one, the appointment of Mueller and Trump's reaction. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's just so satisfying to me. Uh, so basically, Rosenstein, we know he appointed Mueller on May 17th, 2017, 17, 17. And um, <laughs> he then told Sessions, who then told Trump who at the time was interviewing FBI directors with Jody Hunt and Don McGahn. And according to Hunt's notes, Jody Hunt took really good notes, by the way, the president slumped back in his chair when he heard the news and said, oh, my God, this is terrible. This is the end of my presidency. I'm fucked. <laughs> I just love seeing him admit that he's in a bad place for once. <laughs> and I have to also say that just seeing the word fucked in print in a, in a historic document it's just, it's crazy. Yeah, that's intense. I love it. 
Uh, Trump got mad. He lashed out at Sessions for recusing himself, saying, how could you let this happen, Jeff? <laughs> uh, and contrasted him uh, to Holder and Kennedy again, <laughs> which he just does every time he's mad at Jeff Sessions. And Sessions told Mueller, Trump said, you were supposed to protect me. And then said, everyone tells me uh, if you get one of these independent councils, it ruins your presidency. It takes years and years, and I won't be able to do anything. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> uh, Privilege. Then, <laughs> 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 right? Like, aww. Um, it just, it, it's schadenfreude for me. It makes me happy. Yeah. And then Trump told Sessions <clears throat> he should resign. And Sessions said, sure. Sure, bro. I'll, I'll write you a letter. And so Hicks, Hicks, Hope Hicks said she'd only seen Trump like that, angry like that one other time. And that's when he learned about the Access Hollywood tape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and both uh, consequences of his own actions. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? Good point. <laughs> yeah. Why am I in this place where I'm at? <laughs> it must have been that thing I did or said. <laughs> so uh, the next day, the FBI told Dan- Don McGahn to preserve all material related to the Comey firing. And Sessions finalized his resignation letter. But Trump put it in his pocket and asked Sessions to stay. He didn't give him the letter back or throw it away. He put it in his pocket. And, and this is something new. We didn't know about that. I didn't, I didn't know about this. But when Priebus and Bannon learned that Trump didn't return the resignation letter to Sessions, they were worried he would use it to influence the Department of Justice. It could function as a shock collar that the president could use anytime he wanted. And Priebus said uh, the president had the DOJ by the throat as long as he had that letter. And uh, during his trip to the Middle East the next day, that was nice when he was gone. I remember that. (laughs) Um, Hicks and Trump showed, uh, Hicks said that Trump showed the letter to a group of senior advisors and asked what he should do. Priebus asked about the letter later during the trip, but Trump lied and said the letter was back at the White House and he didn't have it. And it wasn't until May 30th, a couple weeks later, that Trump gave the letter back to Sessions with a note saying, not accepted. (laughs) (laughs) Weird, right? Um, so on to subsection two on page 80, the evidence of Trump's assertion that Mueller was conflicted. And this is the same shit we've heard over and over again. Mueller, first of all, Mueller was begging to be the FBI director. He interviewed for the FBI director job <laughs> uh, that he used to work for a law firm that represented people affiliated with the president, which is true. And a ho- the whole golf club fee dispute. And, and Trump's advisors, including Priebus and Bannon and McGahn, pushed back saying those aren't really conflicts. Um, Bannon went as far as telling Trump his conflicts were ridiculous. Ridiculous, and none could justify precluding Mueller from serving as special counsel, even calling the golf fees ridiculous and petty. Mm-hmm. Trump wanted to call Rosenstein about the conflicts um, <clears throat> with the law firm, but McGahn advised against it. You know, don't want to sit on a, in an airplane on a tarmac with your attorney general. And he, he told Trump he wouldn't call Rosenstein for him either. Uh, warning that even discussing it with his personal attorney could look like he was trying to meddle in the investigation. And knocking out Mueller would be another fact used to claim obstruction of justice. Another. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like how he said another. Yeah. And um, McGahn told Trump that firing Comey wasn't his biggest exposure, but more so his other contacts and calls and his ask regarding Flynn, which was widely reported on June 8th. And that's interesting because that's true also in the Mueller report. And on June 8th, Comey testified again, but this time about the president asking to let Flynn go and lift the cloud, uh, which you know led to a series of news reports that Trump obstructed justice. The following Monday, a friend of Trump and reporter um, from Newsmax Media named Chris Reddy, Christopher Reddy, met with Trump, who told him he was seriously consider firing the special, considering firing special counsel Mueller. And Reddy asked Priebus if he could tell everyone what the president said, and Priebus said, sure. So he went on TV and said Trump was definitely considering firing Mueller, which kicked off extensive coverage in the media that Trump wanted to fire the special Jesus. counsel. <laughs> <Those> idiots. <clears throat> yeah, he's like, can I tell everyone? Priebus is like, sure, bro. 
Newsmax Media is the name. Yeah. That sounds like porn news. I know. It does. Newsmax. Newsmax. <laughs> Listen to the news. <laughs> or else. News to the max. <laughs> I know, right? It's maximum news. So anyway, the White House was pissed that, that Chris Ruddy went out and told everybody this. And Trump told Sarah Sanders to tell the public that while he has every right to fire Mueller, he wasn't going to do it. And on June 13th, Trump's personal lawyer contacted Mueller's office about conflicts of interest, seemingly ignoring McGahn's advice. So not even your personal attorney can contact the Department <laughs> of Justice. You're going to look like you're meddling. The same day, Rosenstein testified there was no good cause to terminate special counsel, including for conflicts of interest. And two days later, Mueller called Rosenstein and told him about Trump's personal lawyers reaching out to him in case the DOJ wanted to take any action on that, which they didn't. So, mm -hmm. All right. That's the first section. Guys, we'll be right back with the biggie. Trump ordering McGahn to fire Mueller. Thanks to Crest for supporting our special coverage of the Mueller Report. The Crest 3D Whitening Kit is the perfect way to whiten your teeth and make the most of your smile, which is huge for your confidence. And I'm sure you know, everything that we eat and everything that we drink over the years takes a toll on how our teeth look. They can become stained. I know I drink a ton of coffee, so I get coffee stains on my teeth. But I've found that the Crest White Strips are the most effective way to whiten my smile. They remove over 10 years of tough set-in stains from coffee, wine, or smoking. And it's the number one dentist-recommended teeth whitening system as well. And we all know how important it, our time is to us. We're very concerned about it here on the pod. I'm also an efficiency enthusiast, though some might call me lazy. But the Crest Whitening System is so convenient. There's no messy gels. There's no trays. So that, you know, none of that weirdness. It's it applied in the comfort of your own home when you're, you know, watching the news. No slip grip for white strips that allow you to talk or drink water during treatment. And it includes an LED blue light that really targets the stains brought on by years of food and coffee. So the ingredients work faster and better than just the white strips alone. It's the same LED technology used by dentists, by the way, without the price tag and the trip to the dentist's office. And it's guaranteed to deliver 100% noticeably whiter teeth as well. And if you're not satisfied, you can get your money back. Um, I didn't think anything could kick the decades of coffee stains off my teeth, but this new system with the LED light targeted those stains. My teeth are at least two shades whiter. I'd argue three shades, and that's really important to my confidence. So order your first Crest 3D whitening strip kit with patented blue light LED technology online today and receive a special offer, $20 off. Go to CrestWhiteSmile.com and enter promo code AG. You'll get free shipping included and $20 off your first Crest 3D whitening strip kit when you go to CrestWhiteSmile.com and use promo code AG. AG at checkout. All right, guys, welcome back. We're on to page 84 and the press reporting Trump is being investigated for obstruction of justice and the big money, no whammies, Trump directing McGahn to fire Mueller. And on the evening of June 14th, Washington Post pub published an article saying the special counsel was investigating whether the president had attempted to obstruct justice. And this was the first public report that the president himself was under investigation, June of 2017, <laughs> by the special counsel's office. And cable news networks quickly picked up on it. And the Washington Post story stated that special counsel was uh, interviewing um, intelligence community leaders, including Coates and Rogers, about what the president had asked them to do in response to Comey's March 20, 2017 testimony. Um, that the inquiry into obstruction marked a major turning point in the investigation, and that while Trump had received private assurances from then-FBI Director James Comey, remember when he told him in January he wasn't personally under investigation, mm -hmm. um, officials say that changed shortly after Comey's firing. And that evening at about 10.30, the president called McGahn on McGahn's personal phone and asked, they spoke for about 15 minutes. McGahn did not have a clear memory of the call, but thought they might have discussed the stories reporting that the president was under investigation. 
If only he was a Cohen and recorded everything, right? <laughs> or maybe he does and he just won't give them up. Ooh, yeah. That that could be. I don't know. It'd be Probably interesting. Not. He seems like a pretty straight-laced guy. Yeah. True. McGann? Yeah. Yeah. Like, he seems like someone that uh, would be in Kavanaugh's friend group, but was, but was actually, like, just a cool kid. Like, or I <laughs> like should squee? say, I should say a good kid. Yeah, a good yeah. kid wanting to be a cool kid. Like, <laughs> hey, leave her alone, you jerks. Yeah, kind of. Mm. But then to be like, shut up. But he's busy in his tribute band. And then to be like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, That's how uh, McGann seems. Yeah, yeah. In the wrong crowd, maybe not the worst person. He's but like, definitely rolling with the wrong people. Yeah. <laughs> totally rolling with the wrong people. <laughs> bad job, bad job. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the next day, the day after that, after he had that 15-minute call with McGahn, the, uh, Trump issued a series of tweets acknowledging, I love that his tweets are in this also historical document, mm-hmm. that word fucked and a bunch of tweets. Um, the president issued a series of tweets acknowledging the existence of the obstruction investigation and criticizing it. Of course, he wrote, they made up a phony collusion with the Russians story, found zero proof, so now they go for obstruction of justice on their phony story. Nice. Um, You are witnessing the single greatest witch hunt in American political history, led by some very bad and conflicted people. And Crooked H destroys phones with hammer, bleached emails, and had husband meet with AG days before she was cleared. And they talk about obstruction? Uh, Yes, they do. Um, The next day, so that's just it. That's Mueller saying, here's some tweets. Mm -hmm. They're important. (laughs) They show intent. We'll we'll get to that in a second. But the next day on June 16th, the president wrote additional tweets criticizing the investigation. After seven months of investigations and committee hearings about my collusion with the Russians, nobody's been able to show any proof. Sad. And I am being investigated for firing the FBI director by the man who told me to fire the FBI director. Witch hunt. And on Saturday, the president called McGahn and directed him to have the special counsel removed. So that's the statement that we've all been waiting for. On Saturday, June 17th, 2017, the president called McGahn and directed him to have the special counsel removed. (laughs) McGahn was at home and the president was at Camp David. He makes all of his worst decisions at Camp David. In interviews with the office, with uh, Mueller's office, McGahn recalled the president called him home at home twice and on both occasions directed him to call Rosenstein and say that Mueller had conflicts that precluded him from serving as special counsel. And on the first call, McGahn recalled Trump said something like, you got to do this. You got to call Rod. Gross. (laughs) Rod. Hot Rod. Um, Newsmax. So McGahn said he told the president that uh, he would see what he could do. (laughs) I'll see what I can do. (laughs) Oh, my God. Weird. It's so weird. Like, how do you even respond to that? So McGahn was perturbed by the call, did not intend to act on the request. He he, he and other advisors believed he, the asserted conflicts were silly and uh, not real. <laughs> and they had previously communicated, it says that, not real. Uh, and they previously communicated that that particular view to Trump, your shit's not real, bro. And uh, McGahn also had uh, made clear to the president that the White House Counsel's Office should not be involved in any effort to press the issue of conflicts. McGahn was concerned about having any role in asking attorney, the attorney general to fire the special counsel because he had grown up in the Reagan era and wanted to be more like Judge Robert Bork and not Saturday Night Massacre Bork. Mm. <laughs> OK, so um, McGahn uh, considered the president's request to be an inflection point, and he wanted to hit the brakes. That's what McGahn told Mueller. Good call, McGahn. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, testify to that when we get you into Congress, finally. Mm-hmm. And when the president called McGahn a second time to follow up on the order to call the Department of Justice, McGahn recalled that the president was more direct, saying something like, call Rod, tell Rod Mueller has conflicts and can't be special counsel. And McGahn recalled the president telling him, Mueller has to go. Call me back when you do it. 
Why wouldn't he just do it himself? Consciousness of guilt. He knows it's wrong. Yeah, but they're obviously going to find what he did anyway. <laughs> so That's true. Like, <laughs> yeah. And maybe he thought he did. Maybe he thought they wouldn't. Yeah. And if anything, this makes it look even worse. <laughs> right. That he's going around. <laughs> just directly <laughs> going to him. Yeah. He's like going all in on that one. <laughs> yeah. It gets better in section F with the, with his, when he asked Lewandowski to, <laughs> to, oh, yeah. to deliver his message. Yeah. Yeah. God. We'll get there. But uh, anyway, um, when the president called McGahn, uh, like I said, he has he said specifically Mueller has to go. And McGahn understood the president to be saying special counsel had to be removed by Rosenstein. To end the conversation with the president, McGahn left the president with the impression that McGahn would call Rosenstein. Uh, McGahn recalled he had already said no to the president's request and, and he was worn down. So he just wanted to get off the phone. McGahn recalled feeling trapped because he didn't want to follow the president's directive, but did not know what he would say the next time the president called. So McGahn decided he had to resign. He called his personal lawyer and called his chief of staff, Annie Donaldson, to tell her. And then he drove uh, to the office to pack his belongings and submit his resignation letter. He was ready to go. And Donaldson recalled that McGahn told her the president had called and demanded he contacted the Department of Justice and that the president wanted uh, him to do something that McGahn did not want to do. And McGahn told Donaldson the president had called at least twice. And one of the calls says, have you done it? And McGahn did not tell Donaldson the specifics on the president's request because he was consciously trying not to involve her in the investigation. But Donaldson inferred that the president's directive was related to the Russia investigation. Donaldson uh, prepared to resign along with McGahn. That's a real one right there. Mm. Yeah, it's a homie of of McGahn's, not of ours. Sorry, I should be more specific. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's no, one totally. of McGahn's real ones. Yeah. 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 It's a day I, one homie. It's so interesting to me that he would resign in the face of this, but won't just fucking testify. Hmm. It's like, obviously, you have a moral issue with this. Oh, but he doesn't want to blow it up. Yeah. Yeah, because then he's going to have even more. Maybe not a moral issue, though. Yeah, like he he's like Mueller. Like Mueller's like, look, all this shit is serious and someone needs to know. But I don't want to even be the one to tell you. Yeah. And honestly, you always put yourself in jeopardy when you're testifying. Um, Yeah. So he's probably he was probably not want to deal with that shit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was was probably just more along the lines of, oh, Trump said I didn't have to. Sweet. Yeah, totally. But I will if you tell me I have to. Um, whatever. Yeah, I you feel know, like he's he, kind of like I feel that. like he would if they made him for sure. Yeah. And they're going to make him, I think. Mm. Um, I think that's going to go through pretty quickly. Anyway, that evening, McGahn called Priebus and Bannon and told them that he intended to resign. And McGahn recalled that after speaking with his attorney and given the nature of the president's request, he did not share the details of the president's request with other White House staff. He didn't tell anyone. And Priebus recalled that McGahn said that the president had asked him to do crazy shit. <laughs> that's also in the <laughs> historical documents but he thought McGahn did not tell him uh, the specifics because McGahn was trying to protect Priebus mole mole so what he you know he didn't you know you need to know and you don't need to know and Priebus and Bannon both urged McGahn not to quit uh, McGahn ultimately returned to work that Monday and remained in his position he had not told the president directly he planned to resign and when they next saw each other the president did not ask him whether he had followed through about Rosenstein hmm. And uh, around the same time, Chris Christie uh, got a phone call uh, with the president in which Trump asked him what he thought about the president firing the special counsel. (laughs) Christie advised against doing so because it's stupid, Uh, because there was no substantive basis for the president to fire special counsel and because the president would lose support from Republicans in Congress if he did so. On to page 87, and this is the analysis of the three key components of obstruction of justice. First is the obstructive act, uh, and Mueller says, as with the president's firing of Comey, the attempt to remove special counsel would qualify as an obstructive act if it would naturally obstruct the investigation 
and any grand jury proceeding that might flow from the inquiry. Even if the removal of the lead prosecutor would not prevent the investigation from continuing under a new appointee, a fact finder would need to consider whether the act had the potential to delay further action in the investigation, chill the actions of any replacement special counsel, or otherwise impede the investigation. A threshold threshold question is whether the president directed McGahn to have special counsel removed. After news organizations reported in June 2017 the president ordered McGahn to have the special counsel fired, the president publicly disputed the accounts and privately told McGahn he simply wanted McGahn to bring conflicts of interest to the Department of Justice's attention. Liar. Some of the president's liar. <laughs> Some of the president's specific language uh, said that McGahn recalled from uh, the calls is consistent with that explanation, but substantial evidence, however, supports the conclusion that the president went further and in fact directed McGahn to call Rosenstein to have the special counsel removed. Substantial evidence exists. Um, First, McGahn's clear recollection was the president directed him to tell Rosenstein not only the conflicts existed, but Mueller has to go. McGahn is a credible witness with no motive to lie or exaggerate, given the position he held in the White House. McGahn spoke with the president twice and understood the directive the same way both times, making it unlikely that he misheard or misinterpreted Mm -hmm. it. And in response to that request, McGahn decided to quit because he didn't want to participate in events he described as akin to the Saturday Night Massacre. He called his lawyer, drove to the White House, packed up his office, prepared to submit a letter with his chief of staff, told Priebus that the president had asked him to do crazy shit. <laughs> I can't believe that's in here. <laughs> that's not me. That's not my, you know, normal AG ad-libbing. That's what it says. <laughs> told Priebus the president asked him to do crazy shit and informed Priebus and Bannon that he was leaving. And those acts would be highly unusual, uh, a highly unusual reaction to request to convey information yes. to the Department of Justice. Yes, they would. Yeah. And like then dramatic yeah. again. Exactly. Yeah. But he's actually just appropriately responding. Yes. And uh, also in the days before calls to McGahn, the president, um, through his personal attorney, had already brought the asserted conflicts to the attention of the Department of Justice. Accordingly, the president had no reason to have McGahn call Rosenstein that weekend to raise conflict issues. Hmm. It's already been raised. Hmm. Very smart. Yeah. And uh, third, the president's sense of urgency and repeated requests, like, you got to do this, you got to call Rod, uh, support McGahn's recollection that the president wanted the Department of Justice to take action to remove the special counsel. Uh, Had the president instead sought only to have the Department of Justice reexamine conflicts to evaluate whether they posed an ethical bar, it would have been unnecessary to set the process in motion on a Saturday and make repeated calls to McGahn. Yeah, because no one's working then. (laughs) No one's doing shit. Just him. Yeah, he's just... Up all night, Adderalled out, yep. and is freaking the fuck out. And he's like, what can I do that would <laughs> give me any sort of relief from any of this anxiety? Yep. I'm going to call him again, twice. <laughs> and just have him to talk about the conflicts. Yeah. So finally, Trump discussed knocking out Mueller and uh, raised conflicts of interest in a May 23rd, 2017 call with McGahn reflecting the president connected the conflicts to a plan to remove the special counsel. And in the days leading up to June 17th, 2017, when he made the statement to get rid of, you know, when he called McGahn to fire Mueller, the president made clear to Priebus and Bannon, who told Ruddy, Christopher Ruddy, that the president was considering terminating the special counsel. Also during that time period, the president reached out to Christie to get his thoughts on firing the special counsel. The evidence shows the president was not just seeking an examination of conflicts, um, but was looking to uh, use asserted conflicts as a a pretext to terminate Mueller. Uh, So, yes. There is an obstructive act. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, nexus to an official proceeding to satisfy the proceeding requirement, it would be necessary to establish a nexus between the president's act of seeking to terminate the special counsel and a pending or foreseeable grand jury proceeding. 
Substantial evidence indicates that by June 17th, the president knew his conduct was under investigation by a federal prosecutor who could present any evidence of federal crimes to a grand jury. On May 23rd, McGahn explicitly warned the president that his biggest exposure wasn't firing Comey, but other contacts, calls, and the, you know, the Flynn stuff when he asked Comey to let go easy on Flynn. By early June, it was widely reported uh, in the media that federal prosecutors had issued grand jury subpoenas in the Flynn inquiry and the special counsel had taken over the Flynn investigation. So on June 19th, the special counsel's office informed the White House investigators would be interviewing intelligence agency officials who allegedly had been asked uh, by the president to push back against the Russia investigation. And on June 14th, news outlets began reporting the president was himself being investigated for obstruction of justice based on widespread reporting. And the president knew that such uh, an investigation could include his request for Comey's loyalty, his request, you know, to let the Flynn Mm -hmm. thing go. Um, his outreach to Coates and Rogers and his termination of Comey and statement to the Russian foreign minister that he, you know, had relieved great pressure related to Russia. And uh, in June 16th, 2017, the day before he directed McGahn to have the special counsel removed, the president publicly acknowledged that his conduct was under investigation. So this sounds to me like, yes, there's a nexus to an official proceeding. <laughs> so or, a, or an impending one. Yeah, the impending grand jury. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, you know, he tweeted, I am being investigated for firing the FBI director by the man who told me to fire the FBI director. So interesting. He knew. So he knew he was being investigated. Mm-hmm. And it's and so there it's connected. And then finally, intent. He says substantial evidence indicates the president's attempts to remove special counsel were linked to the special counsel's oversight of investigations that involved the president's conduct and most immediately to reports that the president was being investigated for potential obstruction of justice. And before the president fired Comey, the president considered it critically important that he was not under investigation and the public not erroneously think he was being investigated, as described in Volume 2, Section 2, Part D. Uh, Advisors perceived the president, um, while he was drafting the Comey termination letter, to be more concerned than anything about getting out that he was not under investigation. And when the president learned of the appointment of special counsel, he expressed further concern about about the investigation, saying, this is the end of my presidency. I'm fucked. (laughs) He also faulted Sessions for recusing, saying you were supposed to protect me. So that's bad for him, too. Bad look. It'd be a great scene in the movie, though. <laughs> you were supposed to protect me. <laughs> I trusted you. Yeah. I trusted you, bitch. <laughs> blah, blah, Kennedy. Blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> blah, blah, Holder. Blah, blah. And then on June 14th, when the Washington Post reported special counsel was investigating the president for obstruction, the president was facing what he had uh, wanted to avoid a criminal investigation into his own conduct, um, and that he was the subject of uh, of it, and that and that it got a lot of media attention. And the evidence indicates the news of the obstruction investigation prompted the call to McGahn to seek to have special counsel removed. And by mid June, Department of Justice had already cleared the special counsel's service and uh, the president's advisors and told him that you know the claimed conflict conflict of interests were silly and did not provide a basis for the removal of special counsel. On June 13th, the acting attorney general testified before Congress that no good cause for removing the special counsel existed, and the president dictated a press statement to Sarah Sanders saying he had no intention of firing the special counsel. But the next day, the media reported the president was under investigation for obstruction of justice, and the special counsel was interviewing witnesses about events related to possible obstruction. So that spurred the president to write his tweets, you know, his tweet storm about special counsel. 
and the president called him again at home that night and called him on Saturday from Camp David. The evidence accordingly indicates that news on his, that um, news that an obstruction of investigation had been opened is what led the president to call him again to have the special counsel terminated. It must be all of the ghosts floating around Camp David of past shitty presidents that are just really sitting on his shoulder that night. <clears throat> totally. Just telling him to do it. <laughs> do it. <laughs> And finally, he says, uh, Mueller says there's evidence that the president knew that he should not have made those calls to McGahn. The president made the calls to McGahn after McGahn had specifically told the president the White House counsel's office and McGahn could not be involved in pressing con- uh, conflicts claims and that the president should consult with his personal counsel if he wanted to raise those conflicts, um, with, with, which he did. And instead of relying on his personal counsel to submit the conflict claims, the president sought to use his official powers to remove special counsel. And uh, after the media reported the president's actions, he denied it, that he he denied he ever ordered McGahn to have uh, Mueller fired, made repeated efforts to have McGahn deny the story, as discussed in Volume 2, Section 2I, which we aren't at yet. And those details are contrary to to the evidence and suggest the president's awareness that uh, the direction to McGahn would be seen as improper. So he knew. So he Mm -hmm. had intent. Substantial. So this is the big one. Mm Mm-hmm. This is my favorite section so far. It's good, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll be right back with the quick section F and Trump's big idea to limit the Mueller investigation. Hey, it's AG. Hiring used to be a huge hassle because there's a million job sites. You have to sift through stacks and stacks of resumes. You have to go through review processes, trying to figure out what your criteria are, finding, you know, manually seeing who meets your criteria. And there's a lot of confusing websites out there. But today, hiring is simple, and you just have to go to one place to get it all done, and that's ZipRecruiter.com slash AG. ZipRecruiter is really thorough. It sends your job uh, to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there, right? They have a very accurate and a powerful matching technology. And I love it because they scan thousands of resumes for you so you don't have to do it. And they find people with the exact right qualifications you're looking for. And they have the experience um, that you need. And and then they invite them to apply for your job. And we just hired um, another producer and and I used ZipRecruiter and it was absolutely wonderful. It saved me so much time and that's so important to me. And it's so effective that uh, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first 24 hours. It's really amazing. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash AG. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash AG. ZipRecruiter.com slash AG. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, on to part F, page 90. And this is about Trump's effort to curtail the Mueller probe. And the last section was the uh, probably the juiciest, but this is the funniest, I think. This is the comedy of, of volume two. It actually is really hilarious. I feel like Trump was probably super proud of himself when he thought of this dumbass idea. Mm. Like, he's like, oh, guess what? I've got this great idea. And I could just see him, like, like sitting on the toilet or something. Like, oh, this is going to be the best. So basically, two days after he told McGahn to fire Mueller... And I love that Mueller states that as a fact. He just opens up. Two days after <laughs> the, the president directed McGahn to fire me, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> he called private citizen and former campaign chair Corey Lewandowski to the Oval Office and asked him to deliver a message to Jeff Sessions <laughs> to limit the Mueller investigation to future elections and not the 2016 election. This is one of my favorite <laughs> new bits of information when this came out. <laughs> It's so great, right? Mm-hmm. And and Trump followed up with Lewandowski like a month later. Uh, and Lewandowski had set a meeting with Sessions, but Sessions canceled it. And then Lewandowski left the country for a while, but told Trump, oh, I, got, I got you. I'll deliver your message. It'll be delivered. Then he ran into Rick Dearborn and said, hey, will you do this? <laughs> Rick 
Dearborn, who was a White House aide at the time. He asked him to deliver the message, but Dearborn wasn't comfortable with that. And he told Lewandowski he did deliver the message, even though he never did. <laughs> That's really funny. Oh, yeah, I got you, bro. <laughs> so Dearborn, um, you know, as we know, recently subpoenaed uh, Lewandowski and Dearborn, uh, have, you know, brought from the House Judiciary Committee to uh, in their impeachment inquiry. Uh-huh. So that's about this. <laughs> I just think it's so funny. Lewandowski said, oh, yeah, I'll testify. There's no collusion, no obstruction. Um, but, you, yeah, you took part in it. So good luck with that. Yeah, he thinks that he's off the hook because he didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is kind of doing something if you don't tell someone that that's what he said also, probably. Yeah, I mean, he's not in trouble, you know. He, right, but, not to a criminal degree, but mm-hmm. but that is uh, at least... As far as I see him in my eyes. Yeah, he's definitely on the hook. Not doing something is doing something. (laughs) And a few days later, after publicly criticizing Sessions in a New York Times interview, remember that crazy interview? Trump ordered Priebus to demand Sessions' resignation. Priebus said, bad idea. You'll never get a new AG confirmed. Mm -hmm. But Trump said uh, he would make a recess appointment to replace Sessions. And Priebus uh, called McGahn for advice. (laughs) What do I do about this one? And he told him not to do it, and uh, they should consult their private counsel with whom they have attorney-client privilege. Mm. And it's not mentioned here, but we know that Bannon, Priebus, and McGahn all had the same lawyer named Burke, William Burke. And uh, Priebus and McGahn also discussed resigning rather than carrying out Trump's order to get rid of Sessions. Mm. So Trump followed up with Priebus asking if he got Sessions' resignation letter. Priebus purposefully lied to Trump and said he was working on it, but he called him later and said firing him was a mistake, and Trump agreed to hold off. And uh, then he tweeted shit about him all weekend, but agreed not to fire him. So real quick, the obstructive act here is the president's effort to send Sessions a message through Lewandowski would qualify as an obstructive act uh, if it would naturally obstruct an investigation or any grand jury proceeding. <clears throat> the president sought to have Sessions announce that the president should have a special prosecutor and that Sessions was going to meet with the special prosecutor to explain this very unfair uh, and uh, that it was very unfair and let the special counsel move forward with the investigation uh, election meddling for future elections so that nothing can happen in future elections. <laughs> and the, the president wanted Sessions to disregard his recusal. Um, which he had followed um, from, you know, a formal DOJ ethics review. And and Sessions declared uh, that he knew for a fact that there was no Russians involved with the campaign because he was there. <laughs> and the president further directed that Sessions should explain that the president should not be subject to an investigation because he hasn't done anything wrong. Uh, taken together, the president's directives indicate that Sessions was being instructed to tell the special counsel to end the existing investigation into the president with the special counsel being permitted to move forward with investigations uh, in election meddling in future elections. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Check. Check. And then nexus to an official proceeding, as described above, by the time of the president's initial one-on-one meeting with Lewandowski, the existence of a grand jury investigation supervised by special counsel was public knowledge. So, Matt. Mm-hmm. And then intent... Substantial evidence indicates the president's efforts to have Sessions limit the scope of special counsel's investigation into future elections was intended to prevent uh, the investigation, uh, investigative scrutiny in the president's 2016 campaign conduct. Substantial evidence. Check. Yeah. Check, check, check. Yeah, he's not just like, I feel like you're going to need this more later. Yeah. And Don't worry about me now. <laughs> Nothing fishy here at all. Nothing to see here. And uh, Mueller says the timing and circumstances of the president's actions support the conclusion that he sought the result to curtail mm-hmm. uh, the investigation and the president's initial direction that Sessions should limit the special counsel's investigation came just two days after he ordered McGahn to have special counsel fired, which is itself 
um, which itself followed public reports that the president was personally under investigation for obstruction of justice. The sequence of those events raises an an inference that after seeking to terminate special counsel, the president sought to exclude his and his campaign conduct uh, from the investigation's scope. And the president raised that matter with Lewandowski again on July 19th, just two de- just uh, days after emails and information about the June 9th, 2016 meeting between Russians and senior campaign officials had publicly been disclosed, generating substantial media coverage um, and investigative interest. And the manner in which the president acted provides additional evidence of his intent. Rather than rely on no uh, on office channels, the president met with Lewandowski alone in the Oval Office. And the president selected a loyal devotee outside of the White House to deliver the message, supporting an inference that he was working outside White House channels, including McGahn, who had previously resisted contacting the Department of Justice about the special counsel. So that's an interesting thought there. And the president also did not contact the acting attorney general who had just testified publicly that there was no cause to remove Mueller. Instead, the president tried to use Sessions to restrict and redirect the special counsel's investigation when Sessions was recused and could not properly take any action on it. So um, then in July, uh, events provide further evidence of the president's intent. So there's even more if you didn't have enough already. And the president followed up with Lewandowski in a separate one-on-one meeting. Uh, one month after his first dictated, he first dictated the message for Sessions, demonstrating he still sought to pursue the request. And just hours after Lewandowski assured the president that the message would soon be delivered, the president gave an unplanned interview to the New York Times, which he publicly attacked Sessions and raised questions about his job security. And four days later, on July 22nd, the president directed Priebus to obtain Sessions' resignation. That evidence could raise inference that the president wanted Sessions to realize that his job might be on the line as he evaluated you know, whether to comply with the president's direction that Sessions publicly announced that. Notwithstanding his recusal, uh, he was going to confine the special counsel's investigation just to future, future elections, not his. So that is my two favorite sections so far yeah agreed this is amazing yeah. uh, and i hope this is where the house takes it and all of this ha- comes out again to the public in these uh testimonies yeah i think it will and uh we'll see it soon um we should probably i i would be banking on their testimony i think we'll get it by the end of the year i hope so mm-hmm. maybe after christmas break yeah I mean, I don't know what I would love to be a fly on the wall and hear what they're thinking timeline wise strategically, because obviously this is strategic how they're rolling this out right now. Yeah. And we do have to wait for the courts to come back. Mm -hmm. And they have asked the court to speed it up. And the DOJ has asked the court to slow it down. Mm -hmm. Uh, Actually, I think those are the um, tax documents and or the Mm -hmm. yeah. And the the Deutsche Bank Capital One. Mm -hmm. There's so many (laughs) investigations right now. It's hard to know which it's hard to keep them all straight. Uh, but join us next time. We're going to go over sections G and H, where Trump attempted to cover up the June the 2016 Trump Tower meeting, the, you know, the June, June 9th, I believe, and his additional efforts to get Sessions to unrecuse. There's more. So, and that's going to be pages 98 to 113 if you want to read ahead. And uh, any final thoughts? Yeah. I want to get like a hashtag Team Volume 2 t-shirts. I think that could be really cool. You know, you got some Volume 1 peeps out there. I know they exist. Yeah. Well, I think Mueller's a Volume 1 guy. Oh, that makes sense. See, but I'm a volume two. Yeah, person. Comey's probably volume. Well, volume he's in. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and I think everyone has the most Comey. I think it was Trumpcast that uh, sorts you, like the Sorting Hat puts you in a team one or oh, uh, that's so volume cool. one or volume two. They have they, a whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They talk about whether you're a volume that's team perfect. volume one or team volume two. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of them is definitely more of a winning team than the other. So <laughs> nice. Yeah. Go for two. I like volume two. 
that's my thing. Uh, I, I just like checking boxes of crimes mm-hmm. like, oh, intent, obstructive act, nexus to a proceeding, next. And mm-hmm. then you get to check all the boxes and see where he's at. So Yeah. Thank uh, you, Nexus. Yes. Be like an Ariana Grande song. <laughs> thank you, Mueller, for putting it so plainly. Um, uh, yeah, it's pretty plain. It's pretty clear, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. So appreciate that. Good work product. High five. All right. That's all we have. So join us next time. I am your host, A.G. I've been Julissa Johnson. I've been Jordan Coburn. And this is Muller She Wrote. Muller She Wrote is produced and engineered by AG with editing and logo design by Jaleesa Johnson. Our marketing consultant and social media manager is Sarah Lee Steiner, and our subscriber and communications director is Jordan Coburn. Fact-checking and research by AG, and research assistance by Jaleesa Johnson and Jordan Coburn. Our merchandising managers are Sarah Lee Steiner and Sarah Hirschberger Valencia. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is MullerSheWrote.com. Season 4 of How We Win is here. For the past four years, we've been making history in critical elections all over the country. And last year, we made history again by expanding our majority in the Senate, beating election-denying Republicans in crucial state house races, and fighting back a non-existent red wave. But the MAGA Republicans who plotted and pardoned the attempted overthrow of our government now control the House, thanks to gerrymandered maps and repressive anti-voter laws. And the chaotic spectacle we've already seen shows us just how far they will go to seize power, dismantle our government, and take away our freedoms. So the official podcast of The Persistence is back with season four. There's so much more important work ahead of us to fight for equity, justice, and our very democracy itself. We'll take you behind the lines and inside the rooms where it happens with strategy and inspiration from progressive changemakers all over the country. And we'll dig deep into the weekly news that matters most and what you can do about it with messaging and communications expert, co-founder of Way to Win, and our new co-host, Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. So join Steve and I every Wednesday for your weekly dose of inspiration, action, and hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And And this this is is How We Win. Win. SW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. 
but with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler. How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.